Today's edition of the podcast is brought to you by CoachMe Plus. CoachMe Plus is the leader in athlete management software and a product that I've been lucky enough to be using for a little over a year now. Only rivaled by the impeccable customer service that Kevin and his staff provides, CoachMe Plus's ability to constantly be amoeba-like in their ability to mold and, and matriculate what you're trying to get across and bring together is, is absolutely fantastic. Their constant pursuit of better ways and better methods and, and innovations and progress to their own product is absolutely fantastic. Go over to CoachMePlus.com, check out what they got, guys. It's, uh, it's something that I guarantee you won't be disappointed with. Hello and welcome to the podcast. Today, guys, we have an absolutely killer show with University of Wisconsin's Eric Helland. Guys, he is going to touch upon everything from his time in the league and how that's impacted his work at Wisconsin, similarities and differences that he sees between the two levels. We're going to talk about mentors. We're going to talk about evaluating athletes, how that needs to drive the most important part of your programming, and that is the quality of the work you're putting in with your kids. And then, you know what, guys, we're going to talk about the importance of mentorships and how that's been so impactful on E's career, you know, from his time with Coach Vermeil all the way up until now, up there at, at UW with, with the coaches that he's working with there. It, it's really an awesome talk. Have to give a huge shout-out to Jamison Fawcett for asking for us to get E. Uh, this was a long time coming, so thanks, Coach, for the request. Thank you, Coach, for the time. I hope you guys enjoy this talk as much as I did. Let's get right to it. Eric, thanks for being on with us today, bud. Thank you very much, Jay. Great to be here. Yeah, man. So listen, let's start out talking a little bit about your time in Chicago, um, what the training was like, what it's like in the league, you know, the 26 years, right? 25. 25 years. So there's yep. uh, plenty of time to get a feel for, for how things work in that realm. So let's let's start out with that. Yeah. Well, I, as you know, I, I started out in 1988, and I was very fortunate to work for Al Vermeil. And I, I think that from a career perspective, probably the greatest advantage a young coach has is the mentorship they have at a young age. Because I think Al, who was very sharing of information, who loved information, he was a, he's a, I always call him like a chronic learner. Uh, he continues to this day. Um, I think he imparted a lot of that on me. So for me, starting my career in Chicago was, was the greatest blessing I could have because I, I learned so much in such a short period of time from someone as experienced as Al. So that was a big, that was a big deal. Um, you know, with that said, you know, Al had come from the NFL. He's with the 49ers, had won a title in uh, San Francisco. Um, he clearly was, you know, a, a um, was into lifting our guys. Was into lifting our guys, and I think if you look back at probably Al's early influences, a lot like mine even now, I think you get a lot from weightlifting. You get a lot from um, certainly a lot from track and field and in all the different disciplines. You take things from the throws coaches, things from the sprint coaches, things from the jumps coaches. So I think we integrate a lot of those ideas into our training with the idea that really what we're doing is giving our athletes uh, a greater toolbox to express their game. And with that, like I said, the better athletes typically adapt better to the game, especially as they change levels. Um, so I think that was a big part of it. And certainly, I think sports medicine, as we got into the you know into the into the nineties and things like that, you know, the sports sciences, uh, rehabilitation, you know, kind of treating the whole athlete. 
outside of kind of the normal weights and jumps and sprints, you know, aspects of it uh, became more and more, more and more prevalent, more a bigger piece of what we do. Um, and I think it kind of rounded out our approach to things. Interesting, because that seems to be, from the outside looking in, what is more of the approach. It's kind of come full circle almost to more of the therapeutic realm with guys in the league now as opposed to the lifting. Well, I think that's a huge mistake. Not that it's not important, but I think is irrelevant at that point. So if you have a relatively healthy athlete, I mean, they may be treating a chronic issue, whether it's a patellar tendonitis or an ankle sprain that does not really resolve itself, ongoing back issues. I, I understand that. But really, it's got to be a gateway into increasing training load. And I think one of the issues they're running into nowadays, everybody's worried about player monitoring and nobody's talking about player preparation. So instead of saying, let's take a look at what they're doing in the off season, let's see what we're doing during the, the course of the season to increase their resiliency. I think they're all looking at that. Well, let's back them down. Let's back them down. The problem is, I think what you do is you impair the stress loads that they can tolerate. And so you really, at the end of the day, you get a less resilient athlete. You get an athlete that doesn't perform at the high, at, at the, at the same level. Now, Back in the back in the '90s, you know, we Phil Jackson was supportive of us kind of integrating what we did into what they did on the from a practice plan standpoint. Mm -hmm. Especially as we got later in the '90s, where you had a, a veteran team, you know, probably they were spending half of their time with us and only a half time with the coaches, because the objective was is that we had to be prepared to compete in the postseason. You know, we had a veteran group, everybody knew what they were doing. And so really it was more of, you know, are we putting ourselves in a position to compete when it really counts for us? And so again, hell, we, we snatched, we cleaned, we jerked, we squatted, we split squatted, we pulled, we did all those things with all, with, with, with those athletes in the nineties. And, you know, again, I think it, the one thing that changed that it became, we did a lot of these things as a team. And with that, we could, we could implement more structure. We could individualize within the context of the team itself. Um, so I think we were, I think we were really successful in that regard. That's awesome. And I mean, obviously the success speaks for itself. So now let's flash forward to about five years ago. Yep. When you got into Madison. Yep. Let's talk about what your work in the NBA with the Chicago Bulls, how that impacted what you're doing today with those guys, yep. and maybe some things that work there that wouldn't work in the league or vice versa. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because everybody asks me the question, what's the big difference? And the biggest difference, I think, is that in the NBA, you have an inherently unstable environment. I mean, you've got 15 guys on a roster. I, I had my last year in Chicago, I had a 19-year-old point guard. I had a 38-year-old center. So in, in terms of kind of the diversity of the group that you have and their needs, it couldn't be any more broad. You know, the other thing is, is that the schedule itself is unstable. I mean, you're traveling all the time. The combinations are never consistent. You don't play Tuesdays and Saturdays like we typically do in, uh, in, in, the, uh, in the college game. Um, so you, there's more density. There's more travel. There's more stress related to that. You'll have a guy who is maybe at a point in the in the week where really you have to recover him. Maybe it's a guy playing heavy minutes, and you have to recover him on that day. It's what's relevant. You may have another group of guys who are playing, but they're not getting a lot of minutes. You may have to – that could be really good training opportunities for them. 
another group of guys are not playing at all. And really they're your developmental groups. So really you got to be conscious of, of kind of, are they moving forward on almost a modified off season type program? So it kind of, I, in my opinion, it always stratified itself into three distinct groups. Now I think, interestingly, I think the college game does a lot of the same thing. We still have our high minute guys, high stress load guys. We have our moderate guys and then you have your young developmental guys. So I still tend to, stratify my groups in that way so i think that carryover is very very good i think that in the nba because you have to look at the individual athlete so much because they're so broad so diverse i think that's helped me now translating to this level it's not as broad not as diverse but i still have a really good feel i think for modifying to the individual and it's not these are not like oh they're doing a completely different program I always feel like what we do is shade. We have to shade the grades. So, you know, you have, here's our basic template. Here's what we're doing. This kid's got this limitation. This kid's patterning in this area is not all that great. Where he's got an injury issue that has, you know, forces you to make some adaptation. I think that the older you get, the more comfortable you are with flexibility. I think the younger you are, you go, well, this is my program. This is what I'm going to do. And there's a little bit of less flexibility. So, in that regard, I think being old is an asset. <laughs> yes, and I would agree that the longer I've been in the game, the more I've been kind of like, okay, we can do that. Or, yep. okay, we can move this or that instead of this is my program. You know? Yep. Well, and I think the other carryover, too, is I, it's a kind of a broader concept. Is I always feel like the strength and conditioning's job, coach's job, is to drive the process forward. And with that, like, as you know, I mean, our job kind of overlaps everything from rehabilitation and sports medicine to recovery and restoration, certainly the training piece, but nutrition and all of the lifestyle issues that, again, are going to contribute to the resiliency of the athlete and how they adapt to these, to these stresses. I mean, it's, it's, it's really, if you're not including all of those areas, you're not, you're, you're not really treating the athlete. He's probably not adapting the way you would would like him to oh no doubt about it so let's take a, a quick step back because when your last time in the league you were yep. dealing with that 19 year old point guard who's ended up being a pretty talented kid but you also have your new kids coming on campus now yep. so let's talk about that so now what are we looking at in eric's world when we're looking at the men's basketball team at wisconsin is coming back to campus on monday how are we integrating the young guys? How are we separating the older guys? And where is the flexibility showing up in your programming with these kids? Yep. So the freshmen coming in, again, I've not, I, I've not had really eyes or hands on these guys. So the first thing I do is I bring them in and I'll take them through our evaluation process. So basically what we'll do is we'll do basically a modified functional movement screen. Um, there's aspects of it I really like, but then there's been some tests that we've substituted over the years that I think are a little better options. And they're always there in response to us maybe missing something with the kid during the evaluation process. So I think we've kind of modified it to our particular sport, the type of athletes we have, um, and they've got to answer some specific questions for us as we start programming in those, in, those, in those early levels. Typically what I'll do is I'll break those freshmen out from anywhere between two and four weeks from the upperclassmen, but I'll only do that three days a week, two days a week, when we do like tempo days, which are more GPP type oriented things, no problem putting them together. And then the final day of the week, Friday, 
we'll put everybody together. I'll make that kind of a general strength day, and we'll we'll finish with some strongman circuits, with the, which again, kind of a GPP, you know, bent on that. And the guys really enjoy the team building aspect of that. As far as kind of getting them into their their lifting progressions, their sprint progressions, and things like that, I I like to separate them early because I really to teach them initially is is that's the most crucial time. Mm-hmm. If you screw that up early, you're going to be chasing their tails the whole time. And so I really try to spend the extra time with the freshmen coming in to establish those habits, to teach the technical aspects that I think they really got to grasp before I can throw them into a bigger group environment. Um, the other thing is, is that immediately I try to start to stress the accountability as far as um, their their diet, their sleep, their time management, all these things. You know, we're throwing a lot of them at once. So we, I tend to look at it as more of a curriculum-based approach, and I don't throw too much at them. I'll give them one to two concepts a week, but really try to hammer it, hold them accountable to it, have them uh, I'll monitor that because we use some tracking software that will do that for us. Um, so to me, not only are you kind of initiating the training process, but really you got to create those habits that will support everything you're doing. No, 100%. Hundred percent. So let's selfishly let's back up. What are the modifications you've made to the movement screen? So, like typically, I, I didn't. I've never really liked the uh, rotational stability where you go in the same side mm-hmm. in a quadruped position. Uh, so I'll do a, a typical just opposite arm, opposite leg quadruped. I'll instruct them, teach them what neutral is, help them find neutral, have them brace, and just I'll do five to ten second holds, opposite arm, opposite leg with switches. If I feel like they can take that instruction, they can stabilize that rotational component, I feel pretty good with it. Um, I don't do a step over to look at like heel recovery in terms of uh, like quad flexibility and things like that. Um, I'll do an active straight leg raise, but then what we'll do is I'll, I'll do basically an ace, so a standing stance, single leg, and I'll see if they can hold that, hold the pelvis, maintain a tall spine position uh, for again, five to 10 seconds typically. Uh, then I'll have them drop their arms. I have them jump forward and land on the leg that was up. I want to see if they can stick and hold the landing. Um, I'll do a step-down test. Again, just looking if they can control that valgus because, again, obviously for our guys, our weaker guys who tend to fall into valgus and are not very strong and not very stable through the hip and the ankle, um, i kind of like to know that right off the get-go if they really struggle with that. So we'll do those kind of things. Um, I wish I could tell you who I got it from, but I do a spinal compression test, which I really like. Um, I'll stand on a box, 12 to, 4, you know, 12 to 16 inch box behind them, and I'll put my forearms on their shoulders from behind, and I'll have either use a mirror, I'll use an assistant coach to the side. I'll put my forearms on their shoulders and just press direct, directly down through the shoulders with a very kind of a static hold to see how they their spine reacts to that static load you know as they kind of like you're putting a bar on his back mm-hmm. and then i'll do a couple of quick compressions to see if they again can control that they fall into flexion or they fall into extension i think when i look at postural concerns if you have a kid who's who's got a very uh an increased lumbar lordosis you want to see if they can control that extension under load so what i'll do is give them those little pops and if that hip pops forward then I make sure that I really kind of dial in. I'm aware of that. So, and I don't think, I think the movement screen is just a kind of a part of what you're looking at. Certainly Um, in terms of like mechanics, lateral movement mechanics, sprint mechanics, jump mechanics, landing mechanics. I prefer to do that um, with our athletic testing 
So we'll do a series of jumps based off the, the Bosco protocols. And I'll look at that um, and I'll videotape that, look at their mechanical characteristics. Um, I, you can differentiate different motor qualities, obviously, with the static, the counter movement, and then the repeat vertical jumps. Um, we do a lateral change of direction test, uh, which we do electronically, and then I'll do a 20-meter sprint. But all of those things, I'm looking at some mechanical characteristics. You know, sometimes guys look great not under load. All of a sudden, you put them in the environment, a higher load environment, and they really struggle. So I think that just kind of rounds out, I think, the, the available information. Um, again, I think the movement screen is a terrific tool. Um, it's not conclusive. And so, again, I think you have to roll that into everything else, everything you else you see. So, No, that's awesome. I love how the, your, the manipulations you're making to it really fit with basketball. Yes, and I think that's it. I mean, it's – and I learned this from Al years ago. We would make a mistake with a kid. In other words, we may draft a kid, and then all of a sudden you get him in the room and you go, holy shit, we, we didn't really see that. And so I guess when you make a mistake, I guess your reaction to it should be, well, you know, we probably should be screening for this. So what we do is we make a modification, an addition. By the same token, if there was something we didn't really think added to the picture, then we would you kind of take it out and say, well, listen, it, it, you know, this is not giving us much. Why would we do it? So I think that, again, I think it's kind of an organic, you know, process. Um, you know, like I said, if you start having issues with certain things, um, put something in there to screen for it and improve your knowledge. So then looking at the next few steps, since it's going to be educational for the young guys versus what you're going to be doing for the returners, how would the evaluations that you're going to perform in the first part of next week drive that initial phase with the young guys? Well, I, I look at what we see in the evaluations, and then I also look at I have good conversation with whoever has been coaching them, so I can get a sense of training background, which is a big which is a big deal. But I still feel like I, I need to see them moving. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you'll get a high school strength coach go, "Oh, he's amazing, he's terrific," and you see something in his mechanics that are really really of a concern. So again, I need to see it in front of me. I, I think the biggest mistake you can make is with your incoming freshman is feel like you got to accelerate the process. I think there's got to be a recognition of this is where their level of function is. Um, again, whether it's a squat pattern, a lunge pattern, um, ability to stabilize the spine, um, you know, overhead mechanics, hip hinge mechanics, all those things. These are very, very basic and very fundamental, but I think you've got to check those boxes. And I always feel like the first year for our guys, you're training them to train. You're, you're teaching them to have, obviously, like we were talking about before, the good of supportive habits. They have to have these things. They have to understand that there's a premium on the quality of the work we do. A bunch of mediocre work doesn't really yield very much of a result. So we are very qualitatively driven. And I think that you have to have the patience to let them go through these progressions. Now, if I got a kid... The first day I got him in there, I'm looking at a goblet squat. He's great. Uh, I'll front squat him next and then, you know, progress him very, very quickly through that. But, you know, you know, as a coach, as a practitioner, you get a very good idea of what their level of competence is. And you have to find that point of relevance in terms of what's relevant in terms of exercise selection, what's appropriate in terms of load, what's you know, appropriate in terms of their technical development. So, you know, again, it, it's, I, I'll go back to that word organic. It's pretty organic, as you know, Jay, is that it's, it'd be easy if there's a simple system, 
but I think there's guidelines. There's a broader philosophy that drives what we do. And really from our seat, again, the more experience you get, that flexibility becomes very intuitive and very automatic. And you tend to be more aggressive with, you know, shit, you're great. Okay, let's move on to this. I'm going to move you into with this group. So I think it takes probably, you know, for me with my freshmen, about two weeks to get a really good solid feel for kind of where they're at. But again, I, I kind of feel like I, I kind of slow cook them a little bit. I don't think, you know, I don't come in and try to kick the crap out of them when they come in. I mean, I'm, to me, I'm looking at a long-term investment. And again, with a curriculum based approach, you make sure that their, you know, skill acquisition, development of those base motor qualities, that they're sound before they move forward. Because if you got a kid with a really broad, very good base who moves with with a high degree of intelligence i think that that's a kid who you just increased his ceiling three and four years down the road if you try to rush him try to load him too quick not place a premium on the quality of what you're doing i think that again you get kind of an unskilled kid who has kind of a false false ceiling you're, you're in it for the quick fix as opposed to let's look at the long-term you know development of this kid oh and couldn't agree more with that, especially in a spot where we're getting guys for four or five years, too. Yeah. You know, you, you can take the time and, and and build the athlete as opposed yep. to having to chase it around and hope it shows up. Well, again, and, and like I said, you guys have a program like, program like we do. We're just not getting one and done. So we're not looking for quick fixes. I, I think in the NBA, there's always that that temptation they, they want a result very quickly with a minimal investment which you know again it's anybody listening knows that's very a very unsound approach so i think it takes a lot of discipline in, in the pro game um to really do things the right way i don't think you can ever compromise that because typically a, a quick fix is not is not a good doesn't come to good resolution no, no never like no matter what you're doing, especially with with a group like these guys who has been told their whole life that they have to do more, 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 more. Yes. At a faster pace, and like a basketball workout isn't good if you're not walking off. You know, you yep. lost like four pounds of sweat. Like I, yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. Well, it was into when when I was younger, we had we had brought Charlie Francis in quite a lot. And Charlie, obviously, is coming from the sprint world, but his emphasis on the quality of the work. And, you know, and Charlie would take what I would consider very, I think, cons complex concepts, and he would distill it down to just kind of a very few critical components. And it was never, he always, it almost looked oversimplified, but it was, again, he had kind of a, I think he had a concept in his mind of where his athletes were at, where they had to get to. And I think the most important thing I took from him was it, if you're if you're talking about improving a motor quality, if your true performance shift, it's got to be qualitatively driven. Now, certain aspects of what we do, you know, are going to be quantitatively driven. You know, some of the, some of the early aspects of GPP. I mean, just general conditioning components. Certainly, there's there's a capacity to work that has to be there, um, but very quickly, I think the quality of the work is going to differentiate the success or failure of your program. And you know, like I said, it's it's again, it's garbage in, garbage out. You know, if if you're not placing a premium on your teaching progressions, if you don't have a clear idea of kind of developmentally where your kids are at, where you want to take them, and how they're 
progressing along that path, then I think you're kind of just, you're kind of doing it for your own sake. You're not really adapting to the athlete. So I had a Bulgarian coach one time and say this when I was very young and he said, listen, it's, you need to adapt to the athlete, not force the athlete to adapt to your program. And I think, especially with incoming freshmen or an, an initial contact, even with a pro, you know, the, the temptation, I think, for younger coaches to, to say, hey, this is what we're doing, you know, and, and kind of you, you get anxious and you go, you want to get them going. But I think, again, it's it's adapting to that athlete becomes it becomes much more meaningful. And certainly at the NBA level, there's much better buy in, I think. When you sit and have that conversation, you're, t- you're talking to an adult. You're talking to an adult, and this is what they do for a living. So, again, your approach to them is quite a bit different. But I really look at our players much the same light. Is I, we have very smart kids at this university, and we do a good job of recruiting good people, good students, and good athletes. And I take advantage of that in that I, I feel like I can have really some fairly in-depth conversation and kind of educate them on why we do these things. And I think they appreciate that. And I think they their buy-in is much better because today's athlete is an informed athlete. There's a ton of information out there, whether it's you know on the internet or they have, again, through social media. They're talking to their buddies. So if you've got buddies you play at AAU basketball with and they go to you know school X and, and you're at school W here, you know, it's – you know, they know. I mean, they're, they're, they're talking. They're having these conversations. So, honestly, I think it's a huge asset for us, okay, because if you enjoy the teaching, if that's, again, kind of a curriculum-based, education-based approach is how you handle it, these kids adapt exceptionally well to it. Yeah, and, you know, I think the other thing, too, is the more that you teach them and the more that they understand just the kind of generality of what you're doing, yeah. the more willing they are to be more involved in the decision-making process as well, Yep. which to me, knock wood, I think has been what we've done and had the most success with is really now allowing, and it might just be a generational thing. Yep. It might be that I'm getting older because 10 years ago, I wouldn't have done this if you put a gun to my head. Right. Like almost allowing them to dictate and run the whole team, yeah, yep. you know, and shoot, we had a our our two captains. One of them's a sophomore. Yeah, um, they're even determining like punishments. Yeah, like yeah. if and when you're late, this is what happens. You know, well, see, I, see, that's important, really important to your team building, Jay. And I, I think your approach is is right on the money. I. When we've had our best teams, we've had our best internal leadership. So it's, I think, the expectation of the program has got to has got to include everybody. You can't have the coaches and the strength coach and the trainers on one page and the athletes on another. They've got to take ownership. And honestly, we're probably the least relevant people in this equation mm-hmm. because if your athletes are not, they don't actively share in that vision of. Here's who we are. Who's here's who we what we need to be, and here's how we need to get there. If they don't, if they're not buying into that, then you're dead. Then your mm-hmm. team underachieves. And you know, I guess over the years, obviously, I've certainly experienced both ends of that. And I think to me, it's very clear. And I think that I think that in te- all the leadership aspects have to be in place. But honestly, the most important one is is the players because they're the ones who translate to the floor. I don't care if if. You and I care more, or the coaches care more than the athletes. 
we're in a bad we're in a bad place. Oh yeah. That's not a that's not a good place to be. So again, I, I think that I think involving them in this process and 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 they need to enjoy it, Jay. I mean, they kids play basketball because they love to play basketball. And I need to we need to be able to convince them and 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 tie that what we do in with that. So they take that ownership. So they connect the dots between hey we should expect success if our level of preparation is at this point. And so understanding the relationship between preparation and success, that's, that's, that's what we do. Mm-hmm. You know, like I said earlier, is I, I, I talk a lot in the last couple of years about we drive the process forward. And I try to ingrain that in them and what we do, but also connect it to what the coaches are doing on the floor to what the guys are doing at home and you're absolutely right i mean i we've done some things with our young guys in terms of nutrition education and i've got i'll have three guys who live together as an example and if i'm really lucky i got one of them that is really dialed into this stuff i make him my point guy for that household so when we go down and we do a shopping trip or we talk about food preparation and things like that you know, I'll talk to this young man and go, hey, listen, you know, these two guys are struggling with this. So you need to bring them along for the ride. And that's really what leadership is, you know, is, is bringing people along. And so it's not about the individual. It's very easy nowadays to, to focus on yourself. This is what I'm doing. And that's such a self-destructive mm-hmm. habit. It's not even right. But it's honestly, even for the individual, it's not a very effective strategy. No, no way. And it'll so, crush your team. Absolutely. Oh, it takes the heart out of them, mm-hmm. you know, so it's difficult. And then for me, you know, I've got kids now of college. I've got children of college age in there in athletics. And, you know, the only thing, my only hope for my children is what they, they enjoy their education and their athletic experience where at the end of the day, they look back and they see how it's enriched their experiences, how it's enriched their life, how it changes their perspective on, you know, how they see themselves in the world. So, you know, again, we're talking about building better people. And you can't separate the person from their athletic or their academic outcomes. And so that's what I really enjoy is that I think you and I, at our level, we can deep dive into that because of the amount of exposure and because of the continuity and because we have an environment that lends itself to that. The NBA is more difficult. You you try to do that, certainly, and you have some really good success stories. Um, At times, though, you're handicapped and it's just not – you don't have the length of time to develop the relationship and, you know, maybe they're not a great candidate. I mean, maybe they're not, maybe they're selfish people. Maybe they're not hard workers. Maybe they don't have a history of that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's on the NBA team to be able to bring the right people in. And I think if you look at organizations that succeed over a long period of time, they value those things yeah. and that, that you can really differentiate that. So when you look at the San Antonio Spurs, you look at the Golden State Warriors, you look at the 90s Bulls. I mean, it was there was a lot of stability and there was a, a very, very strong identity uh, and a very strong kind of internal commitment, if you will, you know, to, to the outcome. So very simple. Oh, yeah. So listen, man, let's, let's end it on this. Eric, in 2017, gets a DeLorean, hits 88 miles an hour, <laughs> and can go back to Eric in 1988. What's the one thing you would tell yourself now that you could that you wish you could have told yourself then? 
Well, I did it to an extent, and I kind of touched on this. I said when you're early is the mentorship aspect is such a big deal. Um, I, I, I'm here because of the people that I've been surrounded with throughout my career, and I, I still enjoy being around smart people, good people, people are driven into business. I think that when you're young, you really have a sense of urgency. You know, mm-hmm. when you get those opportunities, you know, I think I took good advantage of those, but you looking back, you go, God, I could have taken better advantage. And the most valuable thing we have is time. Just don't waste it. You know, just like you would train your athletes, be qualitatively driven, kind of have a vision of where you are and where you want to be. Have a plan, you know, be, be a lifelong learner, you know, be somebody who enjoys these, these type of situations. I love watching podcasts. I mean, I, I learn, I feel like I learn from everybody. I may not agree with their training philosophy or how they do things, but if people are successful, there's a reason why they're successful. And you can look at it and go, my God, this guy in this area, what he does is really, really good. And so I enjoy that. So again, I, I think that to be successful in this business, first of all, you got to love the room. If you don't love to train, you don't love being in the environment, and you're not your biggest guinea pig, then you probably should look at maybe another vocation because coaching is too competitive nowadays. And then the second thing, have a sense of urgency, have a plan. Uh, again, look for sources of information, um, volunteer time like a lot of young coaches are doing. You know, when I started in the late 80s, I, I volunteered for Al. I wasn't, it was not a paid position. And I think that, you know, nowadays that's the only way to gain entry into our field is through internships, but seek out the best people you can find. And because like I said, ultimately, you know, we're a product of who we surround ourselves with. And, uh, that's a big deal. You know, you surround yourself with really good people and you show a willingness to learn and a a passion for this. And you know it as well as anybody, Jay, is that I, we love athletes who come in and they're enthusiastic. We love interns who come in and they just want to talk shop and they have questions and they, mm-hmm. you know, that that energizes us. And I'm 53 years old and I I love my intern program. I love being with Renee's or Nikki and, and Snipes in the office next to them because they're aggressive learners and it, it keeps you, it keeps you young. I mean, you just, you're always moving. And, and that's mm-hmm. that's that's the biggest thing. Have a vision. Always always be moving. Awesome, man. Yes, fantastic note to end it on. E, thank you so much for being on with us today, man. People are gonna love this. Appreciate you, Jada Mail. Yeah, thanks, buddy. We'll be in touch real soon. Thank you, buddy. Take care. You too. And a huge thanks again, guys, to Wisconsin strength and conditioning coach Eric Helland. And again, a shout out to Jamison Fossett for you know making the request to get them. Guys, we listen. So if there's people you want to hear, hit us up. You know, this was a this is killer stuff that he gave us today, guys. You know, open, honest, candid sharing. Again, the only thing we're asking for from people, you know, and if you did enjoy the talk, guys, please share it through the social media outlet of your choice, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, whatever it may be. If you aren't a subscriber on iTunes or Podomatic or both, hit that subscribe button. If you did enjoy it, hit that like button. Go ahead, tweet it out, put it on Facebook, whatever it may be, guys. We're trying to find the best information out there and share it with all the coaches. So if there's people you want to see, your people you need to hear from, let us know. We'll do our best to get them on the show. And again, guys, thank you for everything you do for us here at Central Virginia Sport Performance. We will be back next week with another awesome guest. We will see you then.